The time is now. Volume 4, Episode 61. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, your host. Thanks so much for coming back and continuing to listen. Have you thought about antitrust issues when you've been dealing with all of the various coronavirus laws on the federal and state level? If you haven't, this might be a fascinating episode for you. Joining me today to talk about antitrust issues in the current coronavirus pandemic is my partner here at Cozen O'Connor, David Reichenberg, who practices out of our New York office, but does have a national practice in the area of antitrust law, both from a litigation standpoint and a general counseling and advice practice. So I'm very honored to have David join me today. David, how are you? You holding up okay these days? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you, man? So far, so good. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast again. Sure thing. Happy to. So antitrust is one of those somewhat uh, ubiquitous issues when it comes to business, employers, and the marketplace, um, but for some reason it's not always on people's radar. This is also true now where antitrust has a role to play in the current coronavirus period, too. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for those who don't think about antitrust all day, every day, it's kind of just the law of competition. So we rely on these laws, we rely on our economic system to make sure that people compete so that they're not fixing prices or allocating markets. So regardless of coronavirus or non-coronavirus time, you expect people who make uh, drinks to compete, people who make real estate to compete, people who try to um, hire people for... uh, for job positions to, to compete. So we really rely on this as a as an economic system. So as we're going to talk about, these these principles still apply now, uh, but perhaps in a little different way in the wake of this uh, in the wake of this crisis, unfortunately. So that's a great segue. Uh, certainly, the government has been active in a lot of different areas during the uh, coronavirus outbreak, but uh, also have been somewhat active in this antitrust area, too. And let's get into that a little bit. Um, the U.S. Department of Justice and the U.S. Federal Trade Commission just this month issued some guidance for the business community that is relevant to the current coronavirus pandemic. Let's start with Department of Justice. What did they do this month? Sure. So in early March, when this outbreak was just getting started, um, we got a press release from our Attorney General, Bill Barr, saying uh, it is incredibly important now more than ever that people aren't fixing prices, people aren't um, engaging in what's called per se antitrust violations, um, entering into agreements with competitors, um, foreclosing opportunities for, for employees. And it was basically a reminder that even though we're dealing with this pandemic, it's especially important now, especially as to products and services that we need to get through the pandemic and to, to, to beat the pandemic, that 
transition continues to occur. So it was a it was a uh, announcement of sorts to say, you know, don't think that you can do things now that you didn't before in the name of trying to beat the pandemic. Competition law and competition policy still applies. And you just used a term a moment ago, per se violation. What is, what does that mean? Sure, thanks. Um, so that means there are certain kinds of violations in antitrust law that once you establish the fact of the violation, you, you don't need to do any further analysis to know that it's a violation of the law. So the most common example of these are price fixing when, just for lack of a per, if uh, cola producer A agrees with cola producer B not to charge less than $3 a bottle, um, that is it, that's referred to as a per se. Once you establish the fact of that agreement to not charge less than that dollar amount, you're, you're automatically legal. You don't get into um, what's called the rule of reason, which is weighing the the good parts of the agreement against the bad parts of the agreement for, for simplicity. The other kind of per se violation that people often cite are, is called market allocation. So I'm only going to sell west of the Mississippi, and you're, I'm, and you're my competitor, and you're only going to sell east of the Mississippi, and that way we don't face competition with one another in our, in our geographic territories. Um, so that's referred to as market allocation. There are a couple of others that are, that are I would call quasi per se, um, like group boycotts and, and others, but you get, you get the idea. These are categories of violations that um, once the fact of them are proven, more or less you, you've established a violation, and then the only thing you move on to are damages um, and other immunity-based issues. And are we talking about private lawsuits where employees or groups of employees are bringing claims? Is it just the government that would be coming with any kind of civil fines or penalties? How does this come about if there is an issue? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. So let's start with the Department of Justice where your last question was. So the Department of Justice is the only uh, federal entity that has the right to charge uh, criminal, to bring criminal prosecutions for what it believes are per se violations. So the price fixing, the market allocation. So people go to jail for, for these um, without proper precautions and, and without, uh, if, if you can as a company or as an individual, avoid these things. Um, then I would say every, at the risk of being too broad brush, everybody else, so the Federal Trade Commission, the other government entity you mentioned, uh, private um, lawyers who represent classes of consumers, companies, um, and then there are uh, state AGs who do actually have some criminal jurisdiction, so I take that back, but they bring, uh, they bring private suits, uh, civil suits as well. All of them predominantly bring civil antitrust suits. Which uh, which are actions for damages, uh, but don't but don't result in, in jail time. So can individuals, either on their own behalf or on behalf of class actions, let's say, can private lawsuits be brought as well? Yes, they can. So a common occurrence, just to give one example, is if the DOJ uh, brings a criminal case, it results in an indictment, it results in a, in a guilty plea. Yeah, so that violation can be proven in court, and then once that's done, then your class plaintiffs come through, uh, come in claiming civil damages on behalf of consumers. Then companies bring cases saying, "Well, I was also injured by this conduct," and so it kind of uh, goes goes down the line. If the DOJ doesn't bring an action, what you still see uh, all the time are classes of consumers, or in rare cases, Mike, but not really. Uh, individual 
individual consumers because think about it if you want to sue uh as an individual it's a lot of time a lot of money a lot of resources you you need to really be banding together with with other similarly situated consumers that you're saying were also harmed um so theoretically it's possible to have an individual but but really you, you see those in classes that makes and then finally um not to, not to get too off into too many scenarios, but where a company is about to go out of business and they think that they're the victim of, of an agreement for, uh, by its competitors to um, get a supplier to stop producing to that, to that company, they'll bring an antitrust claim saying, I'm about to go to business or I have gone out of business and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain how this antitrust violation both harmed competition and harmed me as a company. That, that's uh, interesting, the latter part of that, um, particularly in the times that we're in right now where you certainly are having businesses shutting down uh, and most people are thinking about the shutdown or the mass layoff in terms of WARN Act or other federal and state legislation, but you're saying that there's an antitrust aspect to it as well? There could be. There could be. I don't want to be too broad brushed. So you need to have a theory under which companies uh, that either had a what's called a monopoly position, so a dominant manufacturer that has generally a 50% or 60% uh, market share in a given market, taking what you call improper action or, or competing in a way that's not on the merits, um, injuring another business. Um, and so that continues to be the law uh, before COVID-19 and, and it's still after if it's going to go back to Bill Barr's statement from the, from the DOJ he's saying there these laws continue to apply and if you engage in exclusionary conduct or um, or other bad, I'll call it bad conduct um, we're going to be monitoring this and we're going to come after you so one topic that um, that, you, that you see that we might get into is price gouging so after the DOJ's announcement and the, and the FTC announcement, we'll discuss, um, the DOJ um, sent notice letters to companies saying you need to put a stop to people charging too much for antibacterial or for shampoo or other essential goods. And so a question is, is that because of the laws of just supply and demand, demand has gone dramatically up and so these, the prices skyrocket or there's some bad antitrust behavior um, alleged bad antitrust behavior that, that is result, resulting in these high prices. So yes, it, these laws play a role, and it's just a question of what is the conduct that is being accused that resulted in these bad, these bad outcomes. Sure. So uh, we touched on the uh, Department of Justice, um, and uh, we mentioned also before the U.S. Federal Trade Commission. Uh, what has the FTC done this month to bring this onto people's radar as well? So on the same day as the DOJ announcement, uh, they often you know, cooperate and, and uh, coordinate with, with one another, not in any untoward way. Uh, <laughs> that's a bad antitrust joke. Um, so um, they put out a press release saying, we think the following uh, actions by the following companies were misleading or fraudulent. You know, you're not allowed to advertise products that are can test for COVID-19 or, or can treat COVID-19 or call us. And, and if you don't call us, we're going to, uh, to uh, collect damages from you. So the FTC has what's called a consumer protection wing, which uh, 
this antitrust stuff that I've been talking about, but really is is after misleading and false um, statements, and they don't want consumers to be misled and in, in various scenarios. So they say, you know, we're going after these companies, we're going after these practices, and don't try to basically, in a nutshell, take advantage of the situation, capitalize on people's fears, and mislead them. That's what the FTC had to say, Good. at least uh, at the beginning of this month. It's uh, it's fascinating because, again, we've been spending so much time the last two, three weeks talking about the same federal legislation, some state implications, and there are so many other issues um, on the periphery, maybe not on the periphery, that really uh, could be playing a factor here in this coronavirus pandemic, and I trust being one of them, that I, I think a lot of companies and employers uh, haven't really been thinking about that much. No, and that's fair. You know, you're focused on getting through your life. You're focused on uh, getting your your essential products and your groceries and and keeping social distancing. And I really think there's been a, a ton of information out there properly focused on what we should be focused on, which is avoiding deaths and solving and solving this problem. That said, people who uh, like me who think about antitrust all day long. Um, say, well, our, these laws and these policies are, are as important as ever. So um, here are some guidelines the DOJ and the FTC has put out that um, that are trying to put people on notice of these are the things we're thinking about. Yeah, and that's a great point. I think the other fascinating part to me is you mentioned a minute ago that you were making a bad antitrust joke. Does that suggest that there are actually good antitrust jokes out there? <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I, we obviously all heard, we've all heard our share of, of law jokes and lawyer jokes. I, I can't tell you that I've heard any real antitrust jokes, let alone good ones. But uh, I won't. No, you're, you're actually making me aware that every time I put, you know, one of my anti, my smiley faces in an email, it's probably just because I'm aware of my bad joke. <laughs> I can't think of a good, a good one that didn't require a, a smiley face. Well, if, if anything, it was certainly a topical one. I, I won't uh, characterize it as good or bad, but uh, I now appreciate, among all of this other great information, that there are antitrust jokes uh, out there somewhere. Uh, so beyond, beyond the Department of Justice and beyond the FTC, I also know that there are now governors and state attorneys general as well that have remained vigilant when it comes to antitrust issues. We've, we've heard a lot and we've talked a lot about the non-poaching, non compete restrictive covenant front uh, are the governors and the state ags getting involved in these coronavirus related issues also they are they're sending similar letters and press releases as i as i uh described with the doj and the ftc focused on entities within their state focused on industries that are important to their to their states um sending similar price gouging um notices they're actually it's pretty interesting they're there are some states where price gouging uh, is not declared illegal, and other states where, where it is, where there's a specific act where it's illegal to price gouge in the, in the midst of a public emergency. Um, and so there's not only letters and notices going out, but I think, I believe I saw some states um, looking to pass legislation related to, to price gouging to the extent it doesn't already exist. So it's not to say I'm, I'm not suggesting that the state enforcers are are following the federal enforcers, um, but they're taking the lead and, and investigating what they think is, is warranted within their jurisdictions. 
So when you have a situation like we have with coronavirus and, and this pandemic, most people view it as a good thing for businesses to join together to help out their employees and to help out the general public in times like this. Again, they're, they're banding together to form sort of coalitions. But I guess what I'm hearing from you is that there may be concerns uh, in this context as well. Can you give us some examples of collaborations between companies that might and might not raise antitrust concerns? Sure. So it's a, it's a great point, Mike, and let, let me uh, add to the, to the prior information I gave on this front. Actually, late last week, um, so today is Monday, I want to say on Thursday or Friday last week, the FTC and DOJ put out guidelines saying, here are examples of collaboration that are not illegal and that we still do encourage, and this included collaborations amongst competitors. So if you lack antibacterial capacity and your competitor has that capacity and you can coordinate supply to get more uh, more essential products on, onto the shelves and keep and keep prices as low as they can be, that's something that the DOJ FTC um, notice said that that's good and we want to coordinate that. Similarly, availability and supply of, of medical products and gloves and masks and so you know, some of the examples we see of, of companies acting along these lines are uh, fashion companies sewing masks for, for hospitals, other companies um, converting their manufacturing capacity for, for soap and antibacterial and, and, other, and other essential goods. Uh, another, another good one was, of course, I just had it in my mind, but need to refresh myself, um, the idea here is become step up to the step up to the plate and be a part of the solution of getting things into the public that are in low supply and high demand right now to the extent you're able to. So one of the recommendations I've made is to the extent that your PR strategy in response to this to this pandemic is going to advertise actions you're taking to put what is sorely needed into the marketplace in this pandemic. That helps on both the antitrust front and the overall um, marketing and PR front to make uh, to make your client look good. So there are a lot of these examples, and as you can imagine, as we can get into, there are, there are scenarios where that it's it's more difficult if you're one of the companies that um, that does produce an essential good, and uh, you have been contacted by the government when you, uh, you're being accused of not getting supply to the right retailers, not charging the right prices, um, it's hard. And then you're looking to these joint collaboration guidelines to see, well, what can, I can I work with my competitors to solve this problem? Can I acquire another company that has excess capacity uh, but might not stay in business long enough? Um, and so you're really uh, evaluating your, your options there on how to respond. And that's a great uh, segue to the last question that I had for you. What should companies and people who are listening to this now and maybe for the first time realizing that antitrust law does play a role in all of these other things that are uh, inundating us uh, at the moment, what should companies do uh, either recognize these antitrust red flags or what should they be thinking about now when it comes to taking company action and, and having antitrust issues on their radar? Sure. So I'm going to recap a couple of the points and then uh, quickly, and then I'll, I'll add a couple others. So one, if you're uh, working with your communications PR team, working on your 
supply response? What actions can you take consistent with your corporate culture and your and your priorities that both serve your overall business interests and show that you're stepping up to the plate at a time where your assistance is needed and welcomed? Um, so whether it's producing uh, more medical equipment, supplying your, your resources to get uh, internet to uh, to people who don't yet have internet, who net now at a time where we're going to rely on on that internet um, to stay connected, and and so how can your company do its part? And so while it seems obvious that doing that and putting an emphasis on that really helps on the antitrust front as well, I say you know in antitrust law the intent of the of the party really controls the outcome. So you're really looking at market impact, but this is a time and this is an area where I would say the intent is is relevant because you're signaling to federal and state and other enforcers that you're a part of the, I'll call it, increased supply, low prices solution uh, to to this problem. So I'd really encourage you to, um, to assess those options. B, if you're in a spot where, uh, where you're producing a product and that product is sorely needed, but there, there isn't a lot of uh, supply out there and you're getting scrutiny from, from a government entity, really aim, this is point number two, really aim for open and constructive dialogue with, with enforcers and say, you know, my intention is to uh, bring supply for this product to lower prices, increase availability, but I want to do that within the law. And so I'm looking to work with you um, to to see what what you're going to say is allowed and what you're going to say, you being the, a potential enforcer, what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And so when often when clients I deal with read these notices, they have as they as they should, um, you know, you can do the following, but just to no, but please continue to note that we're still going to enforce the antitrust laws. So try to avoid a scenario in which. Um, there's a gotcha feared on both sides. Uh, the gotcha being you say you're considering something and then an investigation results, you being the company in that case. Or by the same token, you're a company, you say, I plan to do this, the government says nothing, and then you say the government conceded this was a legal, um, this was a legal scenario. So open, constructive dialogue with enforcers and with stakeholders to show that how, what you're doing is consistent with with your business and consistent with solving the, the pandemic. And then third, I would say, if you don't have an antitrust compliance policy, um, great time to implement one. And if you do have one, um, it's probably likely that you have, or it's possible that you haven't refreshed it or recirculated uh, it in the midst of, the, of these new government notices in the wake of this economy. And um, take a look and see how you can increase its circulation, increase training. Um, this is a time where a lot of people um, aren't necessarily looking for increased compliance training, but given that our Attorney General and our FTC and State Attorney Generals and others have, have spoken, um, this is a good time to make sure that your T's are crossed and your dies are audited and you have a system for detecting um, any any behavior that you never expected anyone to, to engage in, but uh, you have a system that identifies it, remedies it, and then considers your best options. Is this kind of antitrust so, plan uh, unique to specific industries, or are you suggesting that uh, for, you know, across-the-board companies? 
I am uh, for, for across-the-board companies. Um, you know, there it depends on, on your size and where you are in an industry. For instance, um, you know, a small or a, a startup company may not have as many iterations of how the antitrust laws could potentially apply to them. Um, but still, they can't fix prices. They can't divide markets. They can't uh, price discriminate in ways that uh, that are that are not allowed, permitted by law. So you still you still need them across every companies every company. And um, you know, one of the key things that DOJ before this pandemic said they're looking for is um, if you do end up with a violation, how good is your awareness and detection plan and what you did to remedy the situation. So if you can step in, if you're in the unfortunate thought of going to the government and saying this happened, but we fixed it, what are all the things you can point to to say, well, we had these trainings, these protocols, these these notices that, that exactly was aimed to prevent something like this. Did the Department of Justice have said we're going to credit those those efforts? So to me, there's, there's no harm in, in having a policy, having a program. Um, and having that program be as least invasive, least burdensome as possible, but for the maximum benefit, which is to accomplish uh, compliance. You've talked a couple of times about essential goods, uh, you know, essential products. Uh, is it possible to have, and, and we've, we all know sort of the traditional essential products, you mentioned the internet and, and other types of things that you want to be careful when we're watching for these issues, but is it possible yeah. when you're in a pandemic like this that other types of goods can become essential products for purposes of antitrust law? And I don't mean to be facetious or, or try to create my own uh, bad or good antitrust joke, but certainly we're all going crazy about things like toilet paper and paper for towels, uh, is is that something that could find its way into an antitrust problem? It's a great point, uh, a great point, a great question, Mike. So the answer is yes. Um, antitrust laws, the reason they've been around and haven't changed, at least the structure of the laws themselves haven't changed for 100 years, over 100 years, is because the laws are principles that apply to every every industry regardless of where you are in time. So what does that mean in actual? It means that at point, in a month ago, toilet paper wasn't essential and it was a commodity good, and now a month later, it is an essential good that everybody wants and that everybody is going after, and the question is how, for how cheaply and how um, how high a quality can, can you get it. So antitrust laws are context specific. They look at markets at the time. Um, and uh, to, to your point, there are definitely goods right now that are in huge, uh, huge demand that weren't a month ago. And so you could find, to your point, to, to the point I made about compliance programs, you maybe never even saw the need for one because, you know, yeah, I produce this good and I'm one of only a few competitors that do, but, you know, it's in ready, it's in ready supply. And so I've never anticipated an antitrust issue, but now you might have one. Um, potentially because of because of the circumstances around us, so that that's a great that's a great point. And things like butter, and uh, I'm just trying to think of the things that I don't have in my house right now that are plenty <laughs> that we can't that we can't get. It, it's, it's, a, it's a different world, and uh, it's a world in which the DOJ and others came out and said, you know, don't fix the price of butter, don't uh, don't uh, allocate markets on on butter or if you're in a one of 
specific. You really want to do a cataloging of all your um, of all your goods and where are they essential and where 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 the risk could potentially be. So it's a great point. Well, so it, yeah, and at the end of the day, it may be an antitrust issue, and certainly uh, this has been tremendously helpful to at least get this on everyone's radar. Um, the flip side is it may not be an antitrust issue in a particular case, and there may just be someone out there with literally a garage full of Charmin and Cottonelle toilet paper. I, I don't know. I'm... I'm waiting to, for that person to show up on the news. But uh, in any event, uh, David Reichenberg, my partner here at Cozen O'Connor, this has been terrifically helpful. As I said, uh, a lot of issues I think are not really being discussed, are not really being considered, understandably so, because there's so much going on out there with the primary coronavirus-related laws and issues. But this uh, antitrust aspect is really something uh, to keep thinking about. But thank you so much for jumping on again. It's my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. I hope you found that as informative as I did. So many issues that are out there uh, that we're all dealing with on a daily basis, and I trust should be on your radars as well. As I said before, thanks so much for continuing to listen and for all the great feedback. We will continue to keep you updated through all of these challenging times. Until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.